Well, we have a festival to talk about. We have amazing art to talk about. And I thought we were just going to have a wonderful conversation about the Gilfeather Turnip Festival, which is going on as we speak. On the line with me, a volunteer for the Gilfeather Turnip Festival and the Wardsboro Public Library, Anita Raphael. Anita, nice to have you with us. Thank you for inviting me. It's a pleasure to talk about my favorite turnip. Uh, you're everybody's favorite turnip, isn't it? <laughs> well, it's the official state vegetable since 2016, so I guess it's everybody's favorite turnip. I think so. T- just in case there's somebody that doesn't know all about the gillfeather turnip, tell us about it. Well, the gillfeather turnip has a mystery stuck to it, and we'd someday like to solve that mystery. Uh, and the question is, is it really a rutabaga or is it some unusual actual kind of hybrid turnip? And we know that it was grown in Wardsboro in the early 1900s by a farmer named John Gilfeather. And so it's called the Gilfeather turnip. Mm-hmm. And he never said where he got the turnip. He never said if he was the one who hybridized it or if he had found some seeds somewhere, or if somebody gave him some seeds. So there's a mystery as to its origins, which we have not solved yet. Well, we love a mystery, and, you know, lesser things have had festivals built around them. So it's the state vegetable. It is. Uh, it has a little romance, a little mystery to it, so why not? And let's have <laughs> a festival. It's the Gilfeather Turnip Festival. How long has this festival been going on? Um, This year will be our 21st year, and we're sort of rebuilding the festival from the years when we could not have it during the pandemic. Yes. Uh, And the first, you know, year after the pandemic, we sort of had a mini event, and then the next year we had another mini event. So this year we're slowly trying to rebuild the festival back to what it was, you know, uh, uh, before uh, 2019. Right. And it all benefits the Wardsboro Public Library. And that- Yes, this is the library's biggest fundraiser. A lot of people don't know that the state of Vermont um, does not directly fund uh, public libraries. In most states, uh, every public library gets a little stipend from their state, but in Vermont, there's no direct funding. So that leaves towns who have a public library on their own to raise all the funds uh, from the, for their library. And we don't like to raise it from taxpayers. We like to raise it by having great community events and fundraisers. And so this event for 21 years, this will be our 21st year, is the library's biggest fundraiser. That, you know, it's so Vermonty though, Anita. I mean, you, you almost... <laughs> I hear what you're saying, and I feel your pain, but, you know, we almost wouldn't have it any other way. Yeah, you know, people don't realize how expensive it is to run a library. For sure. Not just the staff, but the cost of books and operations and programming. So we are very grateful that the community comes together to support this event. And um, we have a, a great sponsorship with the 802 Credit Union. They help with a big part of our marketing expense. Uh, The Vermont Department of Agriculture has helped with some advertising expense. So with two sponsors, with dozens of volunteers, uh, we put this festival together um, and it's all focused on honoring this turnip that was grown (laughs) by this farmer in Orangeboro, you know, a hundred years ago. It's really going to be a lot of fun. It's all day long on Main Street in Wardsboro. 
and it is going on as we speak. It's in tents. It's under tents, which is, uh, I think, a good move given the weather for this weekend. <laughs> Maybe. Uh, but we're gonna mm. have uh, we're gonna have fun T-shirts and mugs and talks and games and activities and things like this, and the famous gill feather turnip soup. Yes, this soup is amazing. It's a very rich, <laughs> creamy soup. Mm. Uh, it was created for especially for the festival by a chef. Um, who was used to be the owner and chef at the Four Columns Inn in New Fane years ago, Chef yeah. Greg Parks. And he created this recipe, and uh, over the past few days, we've been peeling turnips like mad, <laughs> 500 pounds or so, and chopping them up and making this soup. We make it ourselves in the kitchen at the town hall, and so it was just like a big party to get everybody together and um, and, and create this you know, soup, and we're also having a tastings menu of little tastings of scallop turnips and turnip dishes that people can, you know, get just a tasting of, and, um, but the soup is really the highlight. Oh, there's turnip donuts and turnip muffins, too. Turnip donuts? I'm driving to Wardsboro just for a turnip donut, Anita. <laughs> They're really good. They're really good. This mm-hmm. is really something unique. Now, there's recipes for the turnip soup. This is not a secret recipe, so you can make the, the turnip soup yourself. What else is in there besides the turnip and, and cream? Well, like most great recipes um, uh, that have a lot of flavor, uh, it starts with a base of sautéed onions with um, butter, tons and tons of butter. So that buttery onion base and then, you know, the chopped turnips. And we make, um, we don't use chicken broth because we know that some people are vegan Mm -hmm. or vegetarian. So we use a vegetable broth um, uh, in it um, rather than using a chicken broth if somebody doesn't want to have uh, any meat product. And so it comes out just as good. And then at the very end, just before serving it, we add the cream to it. So the cream is especially rich and fresh. And it's such a simple recipe. It's online. You can find it on our website. And um, it's in our cookbook that we sell. And it's it's delish. It's it's like a stick to your ribs. Sounds bit. so good with some nice bread. Oh, my gosh. Uh, no, with a turnip donut. Oh, a tu- a tu- you have the turnip donut with the soup. I had no idea, Nita. I'm new at this game. <laughs> it's my first gill feather turnip festival, so I'm I'm learning. I'm learning as we go along here. It sounds so good. You know, the recipe sounds similar to the garlic soup that uh, they made for years and years and years in Bristol, uh, with the uh, the the creaminess. I mean, garlic. The the main ingredient, garlic and turnip, are uh, mutually exclusive, but it. I'm sure that it is as hearty and rich and addictive as that. Well, it's very sweet, um, and, and it, the sweetness doesn't come from the cream. It comes from the turnips themselves. One of the unique characteristics of the gill feather turnip is its sweetness. You know how, like, sometimes you bite into a regular turnip, and it, there's that little acrid taste, yes, kind of a exactly. bitterness. This 100%. turnip doesn't, does not have any bitterness to it. It's, it's as sweet as an apple. And and so that sweetness in the soup with the richness of the cream and then that little just zing from the onion, it's really good. It sounds so good. I have to get uh, Chef Tony <laughs> at the Wayberry Inn to, to uh, start making this because... Uh, and they make amazing soups at the Weyberry Inn, so I, I'm sure we could get this into the rotation. But we're talking about the Gill Feather Turnip Fest with Anita Raphael. It is going on as we speak in the town of Wardsboro, just north of Mount Snow, 
850 souls reside there, but this weekend everybody heads to Wardsboro for the Gilfeather Turnip Festival. Yep, the hours are 10 to 2, and um, we hope to see everybody, and we are, we've made huge cauldrons of soup, so we <laughs> hope everybody gets a taste. Oh, it sounds so good. Uh, and you can just... Uh, you can search for Gilfeather Turnip Festival and find out all the information. Uh, Dig and VT has a great article. There were several articles about the Gilfeather Turnip Festival that came out in the last week or two. So you'll be able to find plenty of information and just uh, hurry up because you don't have a lot of time to get there today and help raise funds for the trustees of the Wardsboro Library. And, yes, uh, please. Come. I'd be happy to see you. You bet. And uh, buy some, some Gilfeather turnip merch, uh, and uh, you'll have a, a lasting souvenir. So we want to spend a little time, Anita, talking with you, because not only are you the authority on the Gilfeather Turnip Festival, <laughs> but you are also an authority, being an art uh, uh, critic and uh, an art writer, about the wonderful book and exhibit known as For the Love of Vermont. And this is an art exhibit that has taken on a life of its own this year. Uh, it is, if you haven't seen it or if you don't know it by this name, once Anita describes it, you're going to know exactly what we're talking about. Tell us about For the Love of Vermont. Uh, this is an amazing once-in-a-life time exhibition and I know that's a cliche to say that but I'm going to say it anyway um, this is the uh, first public showing of the largest private collection of paintings of Vermont that has ever been shown as far as we know um, it is uh, 50 something works being shown at Bennington uh, Museum on Main Street in Bennington and nearly 200 works being shown at the Southern Vermont Arts Center in Manchester. So the show is in two parts because there was no museum big enough to hold the whole thing. And all of this art belongs to the man who is the proprietor of the Vermont Country Store, Lyman Orton. He's been collecting this art for 45 years. And again, this is his private collection that he's showing for the first time. And if you have probably seen articles and pieces about it this year, and once you start to see these amazing works of art, you know exactly what Anita's talking about. They are breathtaking. They are definitive. I mean, I, I don't think it's too much of a stretch to say that the, this is Norman Rockwell-like in that it sums up the essence of what Vermont looks like and what we, what we hark back to every time we think of Vermont, when we return to Vermont, when we come home to Vermont. This is what we think it looks like. Uh, and whether or not it still looks like that or not, mm -hmm. this is what we believe in our hearts and uh, what we know. And just to see this captured on canvas like this is uh, just amazing. Yeah, most of the paintings date from between about 1910, 1920 to 1960. So they are paintings of an era. There's a few contemporary paintings. There's a couple of paintings that are earlier by James Hope who was a 19th century painter. But most of these artists were born a little before 1900. A great many of them studied in New York City at the National Academy or the Art Students League. And then um, they would spend a season or two or sometimes every year uh, for 30 years in Vermont and do these paintings. 
and most of them um, have been in private collections before Mr. Orton bought them, and so even then they had never been seen in in the public. So, uh, and there are primarily landscapes, a great many farm scenes, and a tremendous number of paintings of working Vermont. Mm. So, sugar houses and law and logging operations and sawmills and um, just you know the way Vermonters earned a living, you know, before the era of uh, the 1950s and 1960s tourism. So they tell a story of Vermont uh, that really has a basis in reality um, as to what you know life was like, you know, before the mid 20th century. Yeah, who were some of the other artists, Anita? You mentioned James Hope. Tell us uh, some of the other artists. Well, everybody will recognize the name Rockwell Kent, and there are several paintings by Rockwell Kent. One of my favorite artists in the collection is a woman named Marion Hughes. She had a studio in Powell, and she was also one of the supervisors of the WPA Arts Project. Really? Uh, and her WPA work uh, is reflected in the kind of ex- paintings that are in the exhibition. Another one of my favorite artists is an artist named Bernadine Custer. Uh, she did beautiful watercolor and pen and ink drawings of uh, the area around Londonderry and South Londonderry. Uh, there are many examples of her work. Another one of my favorite painters who came to just paint the snow he didn't come and paint in the summer. He came and painted in the winter. Huh. Uh, was uh, Aldro Hibbert? He had a studio in Jamaica. Uh, he spent his summers down on Cape Ann at Rockport, painting the sea and the ocean and the sailboats. And he would come up here in the winter uh, and paint these just spectacular winter scenes of covered bridges and barns and and you know in sugar houses. Just one, uh, just an absolutely exquisite painter of snow. Huh. It's amazing the uh, the idea, and you summed it up so well when you said that it oftentimes these works of art and these portraits are of people making their living, uh, which gave way to and, and I just kind of made this association when the tourist industry really got going post World War II, the attraction was for people to come and actually look at the people making their living <laughs> doing this. It, and I that, just, was the, that was the whole premise of Vermont Life magazine. We're Vermonters. This is how we live. This is our church suppers. This is our tractor pull. This is our, I mean, our oxen pull at the country fair. And it was the whole premise of Vermont Life magazine. And so this exhibition is like Vermont Life magazine, only in pictures. That is the best description, Anita Raphael. Uh, that it, it is. That's it. Uh, and we still we still yearn for that, don't we? I mean, we're man. It's manifesting itself in a lot of different ways. And the pandemic turned everything upside down. But but we're yearning for that. Well, you know, I I've, I've gotten so familiar with the artwork and the way that these painters painted and their different styles that sometimes I drive around Vermont and I go, oh, well, that definitely is an Audro Hibbert when I see a winter view. Or <laughs> I'll come down the valley into Manchester, you know, from Bromley and that big view that you have coming down the hill. And I'll say, oh, well, that's definitely a Wallace Fawn stock painting. So I started seeing the landscape of Vermont in terms of all these paintings that I became so familiar with working on the book and working on the exhibition. So it's still there. You just have to become sensitive to the beauty 
um, and, and the light and the, and the landscape in a different way. And these paintings help you do that. You know, you're so right, and I you put it into words much, much better than I, but I've had that moment in different parts of the state where you're coming, as you say, you're coming down the hill on this particular road or that particular road, and you say, ah, yes, this is it. Uh, I'm, I'm not quite as conversant with the particular artist to say, oh, yes, this is this uh, style and what have you, but <laughs> you know, uh, you, I mean, I, I'll use I'll use expressions like oh yeah there's the money shot right there and the chamber of commerce photo that's the one well, yes interesting because <laughs> Mr. Orton has made a point of trying to find the locations of as many of these paintings as he possibly can and he takes pictures of the paintings and then goes out like say for example up in Dorset Hollow and he tries to find the exact spot where the artist set up his easel and and relate that to the exact view. And we've gotten pretty good at exactly finding where these artists painted, where they set up their easel, which view did they, you know, have. And we even found cases where an artist threw in a church steeple here and there that wasn't really there. Really? Um, just, just to make their painting look a little more interesting. I love it. Yeah, it's fun to go out and try to find the exact locations of these paintings. And you can. You know, except for the things that have been torn down, for the most part, we know where most of these scenes were painted. And there's just so so many beautiful scenes of Mount Equinox, the Green Mountains, the Taconics. It's just, you know, you get excited about Vermont all over again when That's you see this it. show. You're so right. Now, you just have a short time to come and see this exhibition in one place. Uh, tell us uh, the uh, time frame. Tell us how much more time we have left uh, to see um, for the love of Vermont. Time. Yeah, the exhibition is open until November 5th, so both shows, the one in Bennington Museum and the one at Southern Vermont Art Center, the last day will be November 5th. And um, uh, I urge you to go online uh, for theloveofvermont.com. You'll find some images there to give you a little taste of it. You'll find links to the two museums, so you can check out their um, uh, hours and their admission uh, and, and any other little things uh, that you need to know about uh, directions of how to get there. So I encourage people to just go for the, to fortheloveofvermont.com, and it's a good little sneak preview of the shows. You will love it, absolutely. And if you're looking for a little one-day taste of everything, literally, uh, there's still time for you to head out to the Gilfeather Turnip Festival going on in beautiful downtown Wardsboro until uh, 2 o'clock this afternoon. Anita Raphael, it has been so delightful to talk to you, and I hope we get a chance to do it again. Thank you very, very much for being with us. Thank you, Bruce. My pleasure.